It's so different to working on a desktop or even a, a touchscreen device. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at NYU where I teach and do research in data visualization. And I normally do this podcast together with Moritz Stefaner, who is an independent designer of data visualizations working from Germany. But Moritz is not with me today. And uh, in this podcast, we typically talk about data visualization, analysis, and generally the role data plays in our life. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show. But before we start, a very quick note. Our podcast is listener supported, so there's no ads anymore. And if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories. Or if you prefer, you can also send one-time donations on paypal.me slash data stories. And I also want to thank all those of you who are already subscribed to Patreon, our Patreon, or send one-time donations. Thanks so much. That's always, always appreciated. So let's get started with the topic of today. So today we're going to talk about immersive visualization. What is immersive visualization? You're going to discover it in a moment. And we have another special guest today to talk about this topic. He's a real expert on immersive visualization and analytics. I think that's the way he likes to describe it. We're going to hear it from, from him in a moment. We have Tim Dwyer, who is a professor of data visualization and immersive analytics from Monash University from Australia. Hey, Tim, welcome on the show. Hi, Enrico. Thank you for having me. So we normally ask our guests to start by giving a little bio. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What are your main interests and background? Sure. Uh, so I've been doing data visualization research in various forms, I guess, since since 2001, uh, when I started my PhD. Uh, back I guess when I first got into it, I was mostly, uh, I was coming from being a software engineer. So I was mostly interested in, uh, in visualizing software. And that led me to, uh, trying to visualize networks. So the relationships in software and, uh, much of my PhD work was on that. Um, so when I was doing that at first, it was, uh, I guess the first wave of, uh, of immersive visualization technology. So back when, uh, when we had the first generation of graphics cards on, uh, on PCs. And so 3D graphics was much more accessible. So I was yeah. using 3D graphics for my, uh, for my network visualizations and, um, learned a lot about what worked and what didn't work in mm -hmm. network visualization, uh, in immersive environments and trying to use them in conservative ways rather than getting lost in the, in the space. Mm -hmm. And in those days, I guess we were doing all this on, on flat screens, which mm -hmm. was a, a fundamental problem, really. Um, visualizing 3D environments on a flat screen, obviously you lose a lot. Um, and that was, uh, at the time I finished my PhD, I guess uh, the whole community, the whole information visualization community was moving away from, from that first <laughs> wave of 3D excitement yeah. because the, the limitations on flat screens were becoming obvious. Yeah. 
So, um, so I put it behind me and uh, myself and I, I really think all of us uh, became a lot more conservative about doing data visualization on flat screens and really trying to, to work hard to make practical visualization tools. But I guess in the last five or six years since, uh, since these new wave of, of headsets have started to appear commercially and really become quite affordable and made really immersive visualization VR and also augmented reality with devices like the HoloLens. Since those devices have become commodity, we now have access to really, really good technology that allows us to, to explore these spaces with, with low, uh, low latency, um, therefore less motion sickness, um, and really good hand and head tracking so that you can interact well. And, uh, and it's much more compelling now, I believe. And <laughs> so, uh, so our whole group at Monash has, is, or most of the people in our group are, are doing work in these kind of immersive spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really excited about it. <laughs> yes. And, um, so how would you, how would you define immersive visualization? Is it mostly about wearing goggles or, or there's more than that? Is it broader than that? I think it is a lot broader than that. Yeah. Um, I sometimes forget to say that because <laughs> I am right now so excited about the, the AR. And I think the, that's what, when, when people hear about immersive visualization, I think the first thing they they think is is wearing goggles, right? I guess I don't know. That's at least that's the first thing that yeah. comes to my mind. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Although this word immersion has a lot of definitions depending on where you're coming yeah. to it from. Um, you know, in the game community, there's all types of all sorts of different types of immersion. There's sure uh, in narrative immersion, for example, being immersed in the in the game's story. Um, then there's I think they call it mechanical immersion, where you uh, where just the physical movements you make when you when you control the game, um, you become immersed in in that uh, in that task, and so uh, so the game uh, theory behind game design and that sort of thing has much broader senses of immersion. Um, but the AR and VR community also talk about immersion in the in the sense of uh, the the presence you have in the the VR environment. So in talking about immersive analytics uh, or immersive data visualization, I guess we're going for a much broader definition mm-hmm. and um, and there have been a lot of people involved in this book. Can I do a plug? <laughs> sure. So um, our book on immersive analytics edited by myself, uh, Kim Marriott, Bruce Thomas, Falk Schreiber, mm-hmm. Natalie Henri Reich, Takeyuki Ito. Yep. Uh, did I leave anyone out? I don't think <laughs> We're so. We're going to put it in um, the show notes anyway. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that, that just recently came out and we put a lot of effort into uh, in the introduction defining immersive analytics broadly and being sure not to leave anyone out. Uh, so another contributor to, to this book that uh, that I think works in the broader definition is, is Bongshin Lee at, at Microsoft. You know, mm-hmm. she's very interested in, in, uh, in uh, multi-touch, large multi-touch, large screen multi-touch and pen uh, interaction supporting devices. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they offer a, a type of immersion as well. You know, you, uh, on large touch screens, you have um, the physical immersion with the, the large scale gestures you do to interact, and uh, and they can immerse a larger number of people than just mm-hmm. a single mm-hmm. user as well. So, mm-hmm. so um, I see those as being as being immersive as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the way you are describing this because it's not only about the output, right? It's not only about how you actually sense things with your eyes, but it's more of a of a holistic experience, right? Definitely, definitely. And that's yeah. that's really where I think the difference between traditional data visualization and and these uh, well as as it's now realized in uh, in tools that are widely used mm-hmm. like Tableau and yeah. Microsoft Power BI and those sort of things. So so there's becoming a well established kind of understanding of what data visualization yeah. 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 means in a very broad user base. Yeah. But I think the new technologies are enabling us to reimagine what working with data is like, and um, we talk about trying to uh, reduce or minimize the divide between people and data by really immersing them in the tasks and immersing them in well, placing the data in the space around them. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm curious to hear about, right? Because the way you described it is like we started, we had the early days of information visualization where people explored 3D, but the technology was really not, not, good for that. And now we are back into having better technology. So people like you are exploring this idea again, right? Um, but um, why visualize data in an immersive environment, right? What, what What's the idea there? Okay, so... Uh, and I don't mean to put you on the spot there. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, it's it's absolutely the, the central question. Yeah. And... Um, and I think there are many, many applications, and it depends on the specific uh, type of immersion we're talking about. Let's let's go with the the um, augmented reality one. That, that's the one that actually gets me personally most excited mm-hmm. in terms of uh, of the potential to change data visualization and how it affects our lives in some ways. So, augmented reality um, at the moment, the state of the art, I guess, is the the uh, the Hololens uh, Hololens Two is about to come out, which has a better field of view and all sorts of other improvements. Um, that's from Microsoft, obviously. Then there's the Magic Leap is also out recently that has mm-hmm. a pretty good field of view. So these devices overlay the world around us with uh, with graphics, and the potential for data visualization is to uh, is to use those graphics to represent data that's hidden in the environment around us or to enable us to to work in our natural work environments um, but be informed by all sorts of uh, all sorts of hidden data and, and information that normally we just rely on our on our imperfect memories to uh, to to support us so the kind of applications are well it's huge I mean um, Ultimately, when at the moment these these headsets are still a little bit clunky and and dorky looking, I would mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. Um, but in the not too distant future, they will get smaller and smaller and yeah. lighter weight and more powerful. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, I'm wearing glasses right now. Um, yeah. And ultimately, um, 
I believe, and I think most of our community believes, uh, that headsets will be about as as uh, cumbersome as, as a pair of spectacles. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, why would you not do data visualization everywhere <laughs> you go? Um, so, you know, why not when you're in the, in the supermarket, why not be informed about, uh, about the health information, different products and have mm-hmm. data, mm-hmm. data visualizations available to, to allow you to compare the relative merits of different products or the, or, um, you know, the, the, the materials that went into that product what's what's the the uh what's its provenance where's it where in the world has it come from all all this information that's that's normally hidden and you have to go out yeah. and search for or, or go away from your from uh your environment go home to your to your computer or stand there in the in the aisles looking it up on your on your phone or something sure. very awkwardly yeah now we can do it seamlessly without people being aware that we're of what we're looking at um, other applications, more work-related, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. in on the factory floor, engineers can have headsets that the classic AR application is sort of seeing yeah. inside machines, getting getting X-ray vision inside of machines. But for data visualization, uh, think about um, think about looking at machines and being informed. Well, one one example, I guess I can talk about right now. We're mm-hmm. working with a manufacturer of mass spectrometry instruments. So mm-hmm. these devices mm-hmm. are about the size of a photocopier, and they sit on a they sit on a workbench in a laboratory, and uh, and that laboratory it's it's a you know chemistry lab, so you need to wear safety glasses. So already, actually, putting on a Hololens, for example, is is not that cumbersome compared to mm-hmm. to the eye protection you would have to wear anyway. Yeah. And uh, so you can be guided in in uh, maintaining the machine, but also you can see the output of these machines as they as they they're smart devices, they're network enabled. So your headset can talk directly to the machine and get the output of the analysis it's doing and yeah. put that directly in your in your headset, which is really exciting. So uh, <laughs> so you don't need to go away to the computer that sure. it's linked to to analyze the results of your analysis. You can see it right there while you're working in the in the lab. Yeah. Um, other examples like that, a bit more, uh, it will take longer for this to be realized, but imagine in surgery. Oh, um, yeah. That's that's huge, surgeons right? Can, yeah. yeah, surgeons can look at at uh, not just the the medical imagery overlaid on the patient, for example, but but think about abstract data that we that we talk about in information visualization, the patient's sure. records, their their uh, their treatment, their the drugs that they've been taking for for you know weeks up until the surgery yeah, or their whole yeah. lives. It's all available there, yeah. right there, without them having to. They can use natural gestures to, to interact with this. They don't need to. Uh, they don't need to go away to a non-sterile computer. They can. They can do this um, seamlessly in the process of of uh, working with a patient, which which you know could potentially be revolutionary. Yeah. And yeah. then there's all sorts of other environments too that are currently hard to hard to. Uh, support with with computer technology think about mines um farms sure all of these places where your hands are busy working in the world around you you can now be informed by data while you do it sure that's 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 the vision you know that's really exciting and now that you are describing it you're making me more excited about this idea (laughs) um i think in, in a way my mind there's always this dichotomy between augmented reality versus virtual reality and the way you describe it to me i don't know if you agree i guess you agree ar seems to be 
way more interesting from the point of view of data visualization, right? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, there is this continuum, though. So, oh, you okay. know, yeah. uh, um, there's this Milgram's AR-VR continuum mm -hmm. um, describes mm -hmm. how at one end you have uh, pure virtual reality where you're immersed in this in this virtual space and at the other end you have um, you have augmented reality where you have uh, graphics overlaid on the world around you mm -hmm. but there's all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of um, places along that line and also branching off that you know now AR VR talk about a, a more complex design space for for um, immersive uh, technologies. So mm. mixed reality is the is the classic one, or extended reality is another is another word that we're seeing more regularly. So the the combination of these virtual worlds and uh, and reality and the world around us and how you mix them together, not only with with the display technology, mm -hmm. but also with uh, with things like haptic feedback, so devices that allow you to to feel the graphics um, as if it's as if they are mm -hmm. real objects mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, the distinction, in some sense, it's it's uh, not so useful to think of it as a, as mm -hmm. a strict divide, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. but as a as a blending between bringing virtual constructs into the world around us and and immersing yourself in a virtual world. Sure. And I should say that that in the lab, we're already kind of. Uh, we're already mixing this up a lot. So when we do our studies at the moment, we do a lot of work in virtual reality simply yeah. because the, the virtual reality devices that we have mm. um, offer, have distinct advantages in terms of having a, a wild, wider field of view and that mm -hmm, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah. especially it. Also the, the uh, controllers that you get with standard VR devices are, um, are tracked very accurately and give you all sorts of ways to, to interact different, different buttons and triggers on the controller that, that we can experiment with. And so what we tend to do is we simulate augmented reality environments in virtual reality. So, we will uh, create screens hanging in the virtual space as if they're actual physical screens. But in fact, what we're interested in is the combination of those screens and augmented reality. Uh, so that, that allows us to kind of imagine and envision the, the future a bit more than we can with the, the working within the limitations of the current AR technology. I see, I see. So, and what would you say are the main challenges in this space? I guess... As you said, the technology has been improving a lot lately, but I guess there are challenges, probably still several challenges from the technological standpoint, but then you also have the specific challenges of how do you do data visualization in these new spaces, which I guess it's uh, <laughs> it's huge, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, so... I often think not just in terms of data visualization, but in terms mm -hmm. of human computer interaction, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there is so much to, to figure out. It's so different to working on a, on a desktop or even a, a touchscreen device. Um, the, the diversity of, of interactions you can perform is, is so huge. And we often encounter when we're, we're building little prototype data visualization, uh, tools, we often encounter uh, challenges with designing a particular, you know, way of interacting. For example, think about um, 
applying filtering and data visualization, which you might do with a with a slider on a desktop. What yeah. does a slider look like in, in <laughs> VR? Yeah. Um, is it even appropriate? Are there better ways to do it? And all these all these classic um, design challenges or UI challenges that were kind of solved on the desktop 30, 40 years ago, we kind of need to, to rethink. And that's actually really, really exciting. And, you know, for, yeah. from an HCI perspective, it's, sure. it's, like, it's like being in the 1980s again uh, in terms of the, <laughs> the possible research questions. It's, it's really exciting. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a tension here. We can't, we can't say that, uh, that these uh, possibilities that I was describing before, like the virtual surgery one, or sorry, the augmented reality surgery one, um, are going to be available tomorrow. There are a lot of challenges to solve first, but I think we can really start to, using the current technologies, we can really start to see what those things are going to look like and, and explore the space. Yeah, I think in in a way we could right draw an analogy, right? We we initially user interfaces, desktop user interfaces were very very different, right? And then we converged to a few standards or defaults. And I guess the same kind of happened with with phones, even if it looks to me maybe it was a little bit more rapid, right? I don't see why probably the same may happen in this space where initially people just explore widely and then we may converge to um, a few a few I don't know defaults or or maybe yeah, not. I, I think you're you right think I think that are there in this space because maybe the the the, the options the, the design space is much larger or I don't know. Uh, I think it's it's still more open, but mm-hmm. I think that the way it will happen is that um, there are already real world applications for, for example, augmented reality devices yeah. um, that are already yielding real benefits. So you know, in the building industry, um, I know that I know that architects, for example, are using. Um, Hololens to allow their clients to to walk through the the space as it's being built and and see what it will look like with the the final design, yeah. the final CAD models kind yeah. of overlaid on the on the the building site around them. And once you think about that a little bit and think about all the places where, for example, builders are currently relying on phone cameras to to take pictures of of before and after they've done their job, you know, once you can you can make that completely seamlessly sewn into their into the technology they're wearing in the helmet or something, um, it it starts to become really powerful. And the the kind of you know seeing through walls and and seeing the wiring, the the building information model overlaid on the on the construction site. Those things are, are happening right now. And, uh, and so there are specific industrial applications that are leading the way. And I think that will, as with many technologies, start to filter into the, into the consumer space as the, as the technologies get better. And yeah. of course, the other place where it's happening right now is in gaming. So, yeah, uh, so VR games are yeah. uh, already commercial. Uh, well, worth a lot of money, I believe, and so for the the manufacturers of those, the developers of those of those games and devices, so so it's happening, and I think uh, for data visualization, the implications are that that these these immersive technologies are coming, and of course the the large touchscreens have been around a long time as well, 
and also becoming more uh, more compelling. Mm. Devices like the the Microsoft Surface Hub um, are really cool. I'm trying to to buy one sure. right now for for our lab. Same um, here. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the opportunities for for collaboration. Uh, um, and you know, working with computers as as we've worked with whiteboards and things in the past is is really exciting. Very good. Um, so I would like to switch gear a little bit because I'm curious to hear from you more about the type of research that is happening in your lab. Um, I know by reading your papers that you are doing some some really interesting scientific experiments on top of these novel technologies and, and ways of interacting with, with visualization. Um, can you give us a little bit of a, yeah, preview <laughs> or <laughs> I know it's not, it's not easy to describe these things in a podcast, right? But maybe can you select a couple of problems you've been addressing in, in, in your lab? And I would be curious to hear. What, what we are learning in this space from the scientific standpoint. Sure. So, uh, so the really hands on work is, uh, is being done by, uh, our students and, uh, postdoctoral researchers. Um, so one in particular, I think, uh, that is interesting to talk about is, uh, is our now former student, Yelong Yang's work, um, on exploring flow maps so uh so maps of movements uh, of people or or trade um overlaid on a cartographic map so uh so you know this is something that the that the visualization community has been talking about for a long time in the hmm. context of of 2d maps yeah um in fact uh there were those really early those really early handmade flow maps by uh, by uh, was it um, oh goodness <laughs> uh, we'll have to look that up later in the 19th century there were there were flow maps hand drawn um, and more recently in the last decade or so people have started to to automate the the generation of these flow maps on 2D overlaying lines and arrows on the map to show these movements and we wondered what it would be like to to show flows on the globe yeah um so the globe is obviously uh, a 3D a 3D artifact which if you try and flatten it onto a screen has all sorts of problems so the classic uh, map projections you always lose something in terms of uh, having to distort the map to flatten it onto a onto a screen or onto a printed map so what if you didn't do that what if you what if you brought back the uh, again, ancient concept of a, of a physical globe, <laughs> a 3D globe that sits on your desk and brought that into the VR environment. And uh, so Yelong um, built a number of different realizations of flow maps in VR. So again, you know, with the long-term vision of, of being able to use these types of visualizations uh, using augmented reality in the, and overlaid on the, the world around us, but for the time being using virtual reality for the better field of view and so forth. And, uh, and so he built a globe that you could interact with by grabbing with your controller and, and moving it around with your hand. Um, also, he had projections on flat surfaces as if they were 
uh, in order to compare with what you might do on a, on a traditional screen. And also surfaces that curve around you. So, um, and then a, an inside out globe where you stand inside the globe and uh, you can move around and, and look around and see the, the globe from the inside out, of course, reversed so that the, so that the uh, geography is, is in the familiar orientation, but really immersive. So there's a, a range of degrees of immersion there, if you mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. On the one hand, you've got the exocentric globe where it's the traditional globe where you stand outside the globe and move it around. And at the other extreme, you're completely immersed inside the globe. And he did a couple of studies. Um, firstly, doing doing uh, traditional map navigation tasks so um, or and comparisons as well. So comparing the areas of different regions and trying to figure out the directions you would need to, to travel from one region to another. And, uh, and he had a large number of, of participants in his experiment. And uh, we, we learned a lot, actually some surprising things. So I was really excited about the most about the most immersive condition, the we called it the hamster ball, actually, because you were inside the globe and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. walking around mm-hmm. like a like let me a just say, insider. I, sorry for interrupting. Let me just say to our listeners that we have in our show notes links to videos that Tim and his group um, uh, created to 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 show how 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 these things work. Right, so definitely <laughs> you should check out the. It's a nice, nice Vimeo video on origin destination flow maps. I think it would be easier to understand our <laughs> conversation here if you can stop for a moment and take a look at this video if you can. But yes, please go ahead. Yeah, I, sh- I should explain that while I'm talking, I'm waving my hands it's around. It's not easy. Yeah, see, it's not easy. To, to That's try, one and, of, yeah. try and sketch the space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I was really excited about this this most immersive condition where you're inside the globe and looking out. Um, but that one actually that one failed. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was interesting. So yeah. uh, so it turned out to be too immersive. Once the whole visual once the visualization fills your whole field of view and and you need to look around you to to see uh, to see. I just turned. Away from the microphone to, to look behind myself. That yeah. didn't work on radio either. Anyway, um, <laughs> so as soon as you have to, to look around and you can't fit the whole visualization in your field of view, uh, it, it slows you down. Also, when it's it's extremely immersive and it, it's you have problems with motion sickness again. Yeah. So actually, uh, the, the hamster ball condition failed, but the one that really worked was the traditional globe. And that was kind of surprising because... <laughs> When you think about it, a globe, you only see half of the globe at any one time. And yep. to see the other side, you have to turn it around. Yeah. But what we found was that at least for the tasks we were exploring, you can always arrange the globe so that you can let see, you know, at least three points at a time. Um, so it, it worked really well. And it was, uh, it was nice when you think about it because it means that this this ancient technology, um, you know, back in the in the Renaissance, every self respecting scholar had a had a globe in their office. I guess yeah. um, <laughs> potentially, you know, it brings that technology back. And once we have AR, we can we can summon globes into the world and and. Uh, and I'm using my hands again to gesture, sorry. <laughs> but you can imagine, you know, having a globe in front of you that you can share with somebody else and, and uh, point to it and, and compare countries. And, you know, there are these, there are these uh, websites that allow you to, to, uh, 
to explore different projections of the map. And it's always surprising to see just how different, for example, the scale of countries is to, to what you see in the, the very distorted Mercator direction. And as Australians, we always feel a bit ripped off. You know, Australia <laughs> is, is bigger than the Mercator yeah, projection really course. does justice. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, when you have a globe, obviously, you don't have that, that distortion problem. And, uh, and you can see that Australia is much bigger than <laughs> than uh, than many people might imagine. So uh, so that was that was his first study. This was Yulong's first study mm-hmm. with just looking at, at these globes without the information overlays, without those those flows over the top. And then in his second study, um, we explored the design space of how you would show movements of people overlaid on these different um, on these different immersive visualizations of of uh, of the globe. And so there again, you've got a very large design space in terms of well, do you have the the flows drawn as lines flat on the surface of the the map or the globe? which is the traditional data visualization way to do it. Or you also have the possibility of, of raising them up and as curves or uh, like rocket trajectories above the surface of the, of the globe. And if you do that, what's the mapping, what's the, the most sensible mapping from, say, size of the flow to, to height? Um, we, we tried different things, for example, elevating the, the, uh, the line more if it was a larger flow. Um, but actually, the one that worked out best was simply uh, making the flow curves, the elevation be proportional to the distance. And what that did was it, it reduced a lot of the clutter so that sure. the, the long flows rose above the, the short local flows. Um, so, yeah, we learned a lot from those studies. Sure. And some surprising things as well, things that things that we thought would work well didn't work at all, and things that we uh, – uh, things that in hindsight, I guess, we, we should have expected, <laughs> but um, <laughs> did work well, like the globe and like the this sensible mapping of, of distance to height of these flows. Um, and we've done a, we're doing more and more of these kinds of, of things. You know, as we said before, once you start thinking about it, there's the, the design space for data visualization in, in immersive spaces is, is huge and not just the encodings of the data into the, the spatial, uh, the spatial arrangement of objects in the, the environment, but also um, the interaction space. So we're presenting my colleague Arno Prizo, is uh, who is a research fellow in our lab, is presenting uh, a paper at Kai in Edin- uh, where is it Glasgow in uh, in a few weeks. Um, that one was called Skeptics and Highlight Planes. And so in that paper, we uh, explore different ways of interacting with 3D point clouds, uh, scatter mm. plots in 3D. So more, more abstract kind of visualization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So direct direct mapping of quantitative data to three quantitative dimensions to, uh, to the three spatial dimensions. So traditionally on... 2D screens, you have scatter plots where you can map two spatial dimensions to uh, to an XY uh, Cartesian plane. In mm-hmm. 3D, you can map three spatial dimensions to XYZ. But how do you explore these? Um, you know, when when we started off, 
Uh, we talked about the, the problems with of data visualization uh, in 3D and 3D spaces, uh, things like uh, perspective distortion and occlusion and things like that. And so this paper, uh, in this paper, we were thinking about the interaction you would need to, to move around in these spaces to overcome some of those problems. So um, one possibility, and this is where the, the word skeptics come f- comes from, is to use haptic feedback of the controller. So, so uh, this is using um, standard HTC Vive headsets, which you can buy for thousand dollars or something um and they come so with, that's the kind of uh, controllers you get when you when you buy a goggle type of technology that, that's right yeah yeah you goggle. get these controllers yeah. they yeah they look like they look like game controllers uh in a sense but they're uh you grip them you hold them in your hands and they have buttons and triggers uh, when you when you hold them and you've got your vr headset on they feel quite natural they feel like you're uh, they feel like the the trigger it feels like you're really gripping things but also they have um vibrotactile feedback so they have little buzzes inside um that you can control to to various to uh, adjust the intensity and the frequency of the the buzzing, and so we explored different ways to use that vibro vibro tactile feedback to uh, to help you to feel where the data was in space, um, and that was really interesting. And it turned out to be really helpful because you could, for example, feel holes inside yeah. dense clouds of data, yeah, and feel behind uh, clusters and and you know, use your use your hands to to explore the space, um, and yeah, that was that was again really interesting. We compared it against other ways to to uh, see inside dense clouds of data. For example, uh, the other part of the the title there is highlight planes, so slicing the the volumes of of data points to uh, with a with a plane that you can move around with your controller and see inside. And, yeah. uh, and that worked well as well. Yeah. Definitely in both cases, you need the, some sort of interaction. Yeah. Um, but kind of the, the takeaway of that paper actually is that both of those, both of those interactions improve your ability to see inside these dense clouds of data and they're not mutually exclusive. You can, yeah. you can have both types of interaction. You yeah. can add yeah. this haptic feedback to all sorts of, all sorts of interactions. Yeah. So, uh, so you should do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, I think what, what is really interesting of this space is that as we were saying at the beginning, right? It's not only about how to visualize something is that now you also have innovative ways to interact with the data, right? Which includes haptic feedback, a completely different way of moving your hands, right? And it comes with an additional layer of complexity, but also exciting opportunities in this sense. And um, I think it's great that people like you are not only developing these new spaces and technologies, but also trying to figure out from the beginning, what is it that works and what doesn't work and how can we attach numbers to these things, right? Which I think is really important. The scientific work needs to go in parallel with the technological work, right? Yeah, for sure. And this this is why I say it's it's like the the 1980s in terms of yeah. needing to uh, needing to explore all this stuff from from scratch. Yeah, you know, the way yeah. the way uh, people experimented with many different designs of mouse before they became really ubiquitous. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and it converged on on uh, the the type of mouse pretty much everybody uses every day now. Uh, you know, there was a lot of work that happened in uh, in university labs, but also in in uh, commercial research labs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. to make that happen that, that I think people just aren't aware of these days. It, it's the technologies are so ubiquitous that people sure. forget that actually once upon a time there were, <laughs> exactly. there were genuine research topics. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Tim, I'd I, I like to ask you one last question more about um, how do you actually develop um, data visualization with these new technologies, right? So I can imagine... Some of our listeners now, after listening to to you describing these these crazy projects, right? Uh, maybe they, <laughs> they want to try them out, right? Um, what would be the minimal amount of technology, both from the I would say the hardware standpoint to get started, and then once you have the hardware in your hands, how do you get started with with the actual software? Sure. So yeah, it's really quite uh, it's really quite accessible now. And I think this is the other big change, right? People have been doing research on on AR and VR, um, not just visualization, but uh, but just interaction for for a while now, a long time now, decades really. Um, but what's changed is that these devices are really uh, you have high quality devices that are relatively cheap. So, uh, so from the hardware point of view, you have, um, fairly low cost headsets at, at the extreme end, you can do it with a phone and a, and a, you know, a Google cardboard type, uh, device, which, um, is very cheap. So a cardboard kind of frame that, that sits on your face, like a, like a, like a headset, um, but you can slide your phone into. And so you could start off with that. If you have a phone, you could start <laughs> developing apps, uh, which work with those kind of um, those kind of cheap slide-in headsets to to start exploring uh, visualization, but it's not the full experience for the the full experience. So, for the full experience, you probably want a dedicated headset, but those are also getting relatively cheap. So since uh, since uh, Microsoft now has this Windows Mixed Reality framework that's kind of an outcome of their work with HoloLens, but there are now all sorts of third-party manufacturers creating VR headsets to using the same technology. So, uh, so I think Dell and Asus all have quite low-cost um, headset devices that you can you can get and, and deliver quite quite good uh, quite good immersive experience with full head tracking and and handheld controllers like the ones we were talking about before these are um, all virtual at, reality headsets right those are virtual reality okay. headsets yeah. Uh, yeah at the at the high end um, we use in our lab we've got a bunch of Samsung Odysseys uh, headsets which are probably more so the the cheap ones are a couple hundred dollars, but the Samsung Odysseys are more about a thousand dollars. And then, uh, the HTC Vives, uh, are really still probably the best. So, uh, those are a little bit more again. Um, and use different types of tracking devices. So they have lighthouses, they're called that, uh, that you need to affix to the walls. Whereas the, the Windows Mixed Reality Framework ones use inside out tracking so they've got cameras in their headset mm -hmm. and the headset knows where it is by looking at the the space around yeah. it um so there's a whole range uh depending on how much you want to spend and and whether you want the best possible devices or or just something to try it out um from the software side on oh, this this is all vr if you want to explore ar then uh then 
uh, Magic Leap and uh, Hololens um, are available for a few thousand dollars each, mm. um, and they're they're as we said before they're they're getting better and better, but the the field of view is still limited, which is is why we do a lot of our research in VR. Yep. Um, on the software side, um, that's also becoming uh, easier and easier. So uh, the the we use the Unity game engine to build a lot of our VR visualizations. Um, and on top of that, we've built a, a library of standard data visualization uh, tools. So being able to produce these scatter plots and traditional bar charts and, and, uh, and things like that is, is uh, now very easy using this IATK, the Immersive Analytics Toolkit that my colleague Maxim Cordiel has been, uh, has been producing has been putting together, oh, along with, I should say, uh, people from the University of South Australia, Andrew mm. Cunningham in particular. So those guys have built this this very uh, now quite extensive framework of uh, of standard data visualization tools that are available from inside the the Unity game engine editor. So uh, so pretty much with drag and drop, you can construct, um, you know, line charts and <laughs> and bar charts and and things like that very easily inside the the Unity game ed- editor. So it's almost it's almost like Tableau in VR. That's <laughs> kind of where we're heading. Um, and uh, so that's available on GitHub, and you can get it for free right now. Um, so uh, what else should I say? <laughs> um, there, that's only one of of a number of toolkits. I know at at, uh, at the InfoViz conference last year there were there were uh, several such toolkits available. Um, DXR was another one, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, as you said before, I think the progression is similar to what we saw on on uh, with with uh, the standard desktop data visualization tools. That there yeah. was uh, a variety of toolkits available, and then commercial software uh, became available, and now it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it's my hope that people will keep tinkering with these technologies and try out different data visualization things. I think the more we have to go through this phase where people do crazy things, right? And through the crazy things, sometimes we come up with, we discover really interesting solutions and applications. So I think that's a, that's a really exciting field for, for data visualization in general. Yeah, I think so. Oh, the other thing I haven't mentioned at all actually yeah. is uh, collaboration. So we're mm-hmm. um, we're starting to do more and more work on collaborative data visualization in, oh, in VR yeah. and AR. So so seems, people seems natural, right? It is. It is natural, and and it's a much better experience for collaboratively working with data than than one person at the keyboard and, yeah. and the screen and the other people looking over their shoulders. You yeah. know, in 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 VR, you have the potential uh, to um, have data instantiated in the world around you to walk around it and have this shared experience. And, uh, and you might be in the same room, you might be on different sides of the world and, uh, but feel as though you're, you're there present, uh, in, in the data. So yeah. that's, that's really exciting. That's what a lot of the research we're doing right now is, is about collocation, basically. Uh, well, uh, collaboration, collaboration, yeah, co-located, v- virtual collocation, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, virtual collocation. So yes, you might be collocated in the same room yeah. physically, or you might be yeah. in different rooms, but yeah. feel as though you're, sure. you're collocated. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
Thanks so much, Tim. I feel like we always started scratching the surface, right? <laughs> there, there's so much to say about 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 immersive data visualization. And as I said, I'm really curious to see more coming from your lab and other labs and what creative people come up with. Um, thanks so much for sharing with us um, some of the details of your work and your perspective. I think that's really exciting and, and useful. Thanks, Enrico. And I, I should say too, yeah, it's it's definitely, there are lots of people doing this, uh, not just our lab. We had a bit of a head start, but now there are lots <laughs> and lots of people in this space. And, uh, and oh, I should shout out to lots of people. Um, <laughs> as uh, Christoph Herder does great stuff um, and had a fantastic presentation at, at oh, this last yeah, year demonstrating yeah. a, a VR data visualization in front of a huge audience, which was very that brave was, of him. That was but, really but also, impressive. Yeah. Yeah, really compelling. And uh, and at, at uh, I mentioned Microsoft before and Meng Xin Lee, but also yeah. her, her colleagues, uh, Natalie Henri Reich and Steve Drucker, um, are doing lots of immersive data visualization. Uh, Benjamin Buck, who's now in Edinburgh, did a lot of work with us, but has also now continued that on. Um, Oh, so many people, and and I'm going to feel bad for all the people I forgot to mention <laughs> later. But but there are lots, and and thank you to all of them, and and uh, and their contributions to our our book, but also all the all the wonderful work and papers that they're they're writing now, and that I look forward to seeing at uh, at Kai and Infovis later this year. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks, Enrique. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.